Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a brief word of explanation. For the last several weeks, and in anticipation of this day, when our thoughts and our minds are focused around Calvary and the passion of the Christ and all of the things that lead up to Easter, we begin to look at the cross. We sang about that earlier, about the cross of Jesus Christ, and we've been examining the cross. There's an old hymn that has a line that says, the old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me. And we've been backing away from that Uh, scene for just a little bit to see what it is that though despised by the rest of the world what is it about this instrument of suffering and shame this place of death and disparity that holds such a wondrous attraction for you and I the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and it is that in at the cross we find pardon at the cross we find victory at the cross we find access to the presence of the Lord And today we're going to bring that to a a culminating thought here this morning. And I want to ask you as we get started today, what is life to you? What is life to you? Now, I'm I'm not asking you, there's going to be no expectation for you to submit an essay at the end of today's service with a a meaning of life associated with it. I'm certainly not asking you to give me the right answers. See, I'm not, I'm not asking you to give me the right answers because honestly, the right answers are sometimes the plague of Christianity. I'm, I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the right answers are the plague of Christianity because we know all the right answers, don't we? We know all the philosophical truths, but sometimes we receive those truths at a level that never changes our lives. The way that we think, the way that we behave, we recite kingdom principle or we give the right answers, but at the end of the day, the truth is that we still often live according to the flesh. We sow to the flesh, and from the flesh we reap corruption, as it says in Galatians. But do you know that I ask you this question, what does life mean to you? And in a few words of everyday conversation, you would be able to identify in your own life and in your own thoughts what you hold as the meaning of life. Because it comes out of our mouths often and it takes the form, it sounds like this, I hope, I wish, I dream, it is my desire and and with these words we begin to paint pictures of things that are outside of our present realities you know we don't hope or wish for things that we already have we hope and we wish and we desire things usually that are outside of our grasp out of our reach out of our present realities and i got to issue a disclaimer here because don't get me wrong because you will come into this place sometime and you will hear me tell you that you need to have a dream that's bigger than you are. You need to have desires outside of your capabilities and you need to hope for things in Christ that exceed your imaginations. Because 
There's absolutely nothing wrong at all with having hopes and dreams and desires. There's nothing wrong with wanting better. In fact, the day that you cease having dreams and desires and hopes is the day that you begin to die. At least emotionally, you begin to die. But there's a hazard that's associated with those passions and, and the hazard that we often encounter with these passions are is that these, these passions, these hopes, these dreams, these desires presents itself when our dreams are divorced from kingdom principle. And, and the thing that God gives us, the will to desire, if not held in the light of truth, the thing that he gave us that is intended to propel us forward into the things of God can actually become a prison that holds us captive and apart from the things of God. Let me explain that. Let me explain that with a rhetorical question. How many of you have ever found yourselves in situations or seasons of life, circumstances that you were going through, and in our minds, it did so little to add credibility to our lives? In other words, you don't feel like your life measures up because you've not hit some kind of self-imposed benchmarks. You, you live in a constant state of if only. You're single and you don't feel like life has validation because you're single. And for you, life is only going to begin at the moment that you find you're somebody. You used to live in one season of life and you couldn't wait to get to the next. You'd, you were striving and you were straining and you were living in the land of if only, if only I could get to here. I'm at this point, but if only I could get to there, that's when real life begins. We live in that state and we live in if only and now in this new season of life you find yourself not only there in that season of life you're still living in the land of if only but you're looking back to mourn the things that you didn't enjoy in the previous season of your life and you're still looking ahead to things that you haven't attained and you're failing to realize that in the present, in the here and in the now God has blessed you abundantly and above measure and his favor has rained down in your life some of us know what this is like and there's no peace in our lives there's no joy in our days because day after day after day we live with the disappointments of if only some of us have walked through seasons some of us have walked through decades some of us have spent our entire lives walking through feelings like our lives just weren't complete and that we didn't have just the right accomplishments to validate us and in turn we live frustrated with our lives in turn we don't value the life that we've been given and in turn we're not thankful for what we've had and we're often miserable to be around somebody say amen and because we live with expectations that are not aligned with God's promises for our lives, we live in a constant state of flux. We're either, we're either longing for something that's ahead or we're looking back regretfully over something that's past that we didn't enjoy when we had it in hand, but seldom do we enjoy the blessings of the present. And a lot of us live on the island of if only. 
and we lived there with no apparent mode of transportation to get us to the promised land of our imaginations where we've dreamed up this world where we're going to sit back and we're going to kick up our feet and there we'll declare, oh, this is the life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We, just, we dream up these places in our mind that if, if we can ever get there, if only we can reach this spot, if we can attain this status, if we can gain these friendships, if we can have this affirmation, if we can get that achievement, then, then we'll be living. Then we'll be living. And the truth is that, and if you're any bit younger than me, please, please listen to me. Because the truth is you can attain everything for which you're striving. You can accomplish everything that burns in your heart. You can arrive at the promised land of your imagination and find that it still has not fulfilled you. It still has not validated you. In fact, it's just as empty and desolate of a place as the last place you were. Jesus says that the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But his promise to you and I is that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus here pronounces a promise for us. And the thief wants to rob us of the abundance of this life. And I don't know if you've caught on to it or not. But that's exactly what I've spent the introduction of this message showing you. It's how the adversary comes in and he keeps us on that island of if only. And in doing so, he is continually robbing us of the joy and the peace and the strength that Christ has come for us to have. As a matter of fact, Jesus said uh, that, that the kingdom of God was not in meat or in drink, but it was in peace and the joy of the Holy Ghost. That's where we find it's not in the things of this earth. It's not in the statuses that we attain. It's not in the titles that we achieve, but it is in who we are in Christ alone that we find true and lasting life. And the thief wants to rob you and I of the abundance of the life that Christ affords us. I want you to look at somebody right now. And I don't want you to tell them. And if you can't say it of your own accord, then just don't say anything. But if there's a witness in your spirit and you can, even if you have to say it by faith right now, I want you to look at somebody and say, I am blessed and I have a wonderful life. Now I want to ask you, how often do you look at other people around you and make that declaration? That I am blessed beyond measure and I have a wonderful life. The voice of the Holy Spirit and the voice of my wife sound very much alike. Sometimes when I get down, the Lord speaks to me and it sounds just like my wife. And she says, you need to hush your mouth because you are blessed and you have a wonderful life. And I say, amen, baby. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But the enemy will rob us of the abundance of life that Christ comes for us to have in such a way that it misaligns our expectations. Jesus promised abundance, 
But the problem is, under the influence of our adversary, we've taken it upon ourselves to define abundance. And we've taken it upon ourselves to define life. And again, we recite the kingdom principles, but we live according to and we sow to the flesh and we strive for abundance according to the world's standards. And in Galatians 6, 8 it says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And we read that Galatians passage, and we who are believers will instantly dismiss that because we are saved, and we don't sow to the flesh, and we don't engage in sinful activity, and therefore we're not reaping any corruption. But I'm telling you that when you begin to sow to desires that are born of your own carnality rather than informed by the word of the Lord it begins to corrupt little by little and corrode the thing that the Lord has already done in your life it begins to erode your joy it begins to take away and rob you of your peace and there's there's got to be something said about the corrosive nature of the believer sowing to the flesh in a way that it eats away at the abundance of life that Christ gives us when we sow to the flesh, it's going to constantly, continually deteriorate our peace and our joy. And we sow to the, when we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap those things. Look with me, if you will, in Luke 20, 24, beginning in verse 13. And we're going to see a couple of guys, and I believe we're going to be able to draw a parallel here between that Resurrection Sunday and this Resurrection Sunday to a place where a lot of us live. Luke 24, verse, th verse 13, it begins and says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. When was it? It was that same day. That same day. Friday's horror has passed. It was certainly a dark and terrible day. It was a time that they weren't expecting, but it should have matched their expectations. Because we're very familiar with John 10.10. 10. How many of you know John 10.10? 10? I, I said it earlier. It was on the screen. The thief comes but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How many of you know John 10.11? Mm -mm. No. No, because we hear Jesus say, I'm going to come and give you abundant life. We've already got in our minds and our imagination what that abundant life looks like. We've already got our lives planned for God. We just need his blessing and his strength on us to be able to achieve our will. We need the provision for our will to be accomplished. And we pray, not thy will, but mine be done. Help me, Holy Spirit. Lead me to this place of abundance. But here's the thing, church. We, Jesus not only pronounced for us a promise, but he also gave us in the very next verse a plan. When he says, I am the great shepherd. And the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the great shepherd. And the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. 
And in these couple of verses, Jesus gives us not only the promise of abundant life, but also the promise by which it is going to be afforded us. And just as Jesus has said, it has been fulfilled. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we did hide, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He has been bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Pardon has been purchased. Victory has been afforded. Access has been granted as the temple veil has been torn in two because of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. The body has been prepared and it's been placed in a tomb. And with the dawning of Sunday's morning also came the realization of a great miracle. Every word that Jesus had spoken was true and has been validated. The stone has been rolled away and the garden tomb of the garden tomb revealing that his buried body has been resurrected and an empty tomb is there to prove that our Savior lives. This stood as a guarantee of every single promise that Jesus had ever made. And at this point, Mary has seen him. Peter and John have looked inside the empty tomb. Others have been greeted by the angelic messengers who declared first the news of the Lord's resurrection. It was this day, this resurrection Sunday morning, as the world was awakened to a new reality of life, that the Savior had died for the remission, shed his blood for the remission of our sins, and that he had been in that borrowed tomb for three days, just as was prophesied. And on the third day, he had been raised in a newness of life, the first fruit from the dead, as a pattern for you and I, that if we believe in him, though we die, we would not die, but we would live in him eternally. Amen? It was that day. That Resurrection Sunday when they were walking together and they were talking about all the things that had happened. And so it was while they conversed and they reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Man, they were hashing this thing over. They were, they were talking about it. The word says that they had talked and they had reasoned. And they were trying to make sense of all they had seen and heard over the past few days. And as we'll later see, they were also trying to make sense of all that they hadn't seen in the past few days. In church, that's where a lot of us live. We, we know, we understand the philosophical truth that Jesus came and he died for our sins and he offered himself on Calvary's atoning altar for us. He was in our place. It was The, the cross in the middle was ours. We, we get that, we understand that, but where we so often struggle is not in what has been done for us, but what hasn't. And it's those things that rob us of the life that Christ came for us to have. And Luke 24, 16 says this, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Their eyes were restrained. Now, some people will say, and you maybe have read this before, and I've probably preached this before, but I was wrong. Some people will suggest that this is some type of supernatural obscurity. 
that in some way they're there walking with the resurrected Lord and Jesus comes up beside them in some kind of form or fashion, either that he has transfigured himself in some way or God has just shielded their eyes so that they couldn't see and recognize who he was. And that is wonderful. And you and I would readily embrace this as a truth because it's convenient. It's convenient. And here's why it's convenient. The truth is that there's, there's nothing in this text, there's nothing in the original language that suggests anything supernatural here at all. As a matter of fact, the, the very Greek word here used for restra- the word restrained is used many, many other places in the Bible and never is it used with a supernatural connotation. If you want to understand how this word is used, it's used in Acts chapter 3 when it says that the lame man got up and he held the hands of Peter and John. Their eyes, King James Version says, were holding. It's the same word. Something had grabbed, so grabbed and arrested their attention that they weren't able to see that they were walking with the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And in fact, I'd say one of the great, this is one of the great problems with many folks in Christianity is that we always want to find someone else or something else to blame for our own human tendencies, even if it's God himself. It's a convenient truth for us to just simply say, well, God made it so they didn't recognize Jesus. No, they were so focused, I'm going to show you in just a second, on their disappointments that they did not see who or what was available to them right there in that moment. Luke 24, 17, and Jesus said, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk and are sad? Underline, highlight that word, and are sad. Jesus identifies that, and it's important. If it's not important to you now, it will be. Verse 18, then the, two, one whose name was, then, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? Um, if I have any guess here, I'm going to say that Cleopas' spiritual gift was sarcasm. Because this, this verse, is, uh, the sarcasm is almost palpable here. In verse 19, he says, And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and and crucified him. And here it comes. Remember John 10, 11? I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. They've already recounted that here, exactly what Jesus promised. But then they continue on, verse 21, and they say, But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today, this is the third day since these things have happened. Here's why they didn't see Jesus. Here's why they didn't see Jesus, because they were so focused on a political upheaval that they couldn't see the spiritual renewal and revival that was standing incarnate right beside them. And it's the third day. We had heard some prophetic word about a third day, and it's the third day, and we're still under Roman rule. 
Nothing's changed in the natural. And so often for us, nothing has changed in the natural, so much so that we don't even realize the miracle that's standing right beside us in the person of the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. We sing it all. We sing the song. He's as close as the mention of his name. He's as close as the mention of his name, but sometimes we're so blinded by our circumstance we couldn't see him if he jumped on top of us. They, they didn't see Jesus because they were so blinded by their unmet expectations that they couldn't see the reality right there beside him. They, they were hoping for a national revolution, but rather what they got was access to the greatest spiritual blessing the world has ever known. And oftentimes we don't see Christ because we can't get over how what he has done didn't meet the expectations that we had of what he was going to do. Are you with me? Never mind that our expectations often aren't rooted in kingdom principle. Never mind that we're so busy expecting specific things that we can't see that he's already doing things exceeding abundantly above everything that we could think or ask. And the word used in describing their inability to see Jesus actually means to have power over or to be ruled by. And these men were so ruled by the plight of their present earthly circumstances, they didn't see the greatest spiritual reality keeping company with them at that very moment. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And they continue on. This, this, honestly, they, these guys get more ridiculous as the, as the story goes on. They said, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see him. Go back to Jesus speaking to them and saying, I hear your conversation, and why is your conversation so sad? They, they were there. These men were sad. Here they are recounting the news of Jesus' resurrection, and they are sad. Why? Because they live in the land of if only. And there's a many, many persons that graces the doorways of a church week after week after week. We sing the song, we recite the kingdom principle, we go back out into this world and we sow according to the flesh and from the flesh we reap the corruption of the joy and the peace and the abundance that Jesus came. We talk about a resurrected Savior but we have zero experience with him because we can't get our eyes off the fixation of our disappointments long enough to see that he is triumphed over it all we might understand this if it was the third day and there was no news at all but that's not where we are it's the third day and he's risen just like he said 
They, they were sad. They were sad, though, because they had heard Jesus promise that he would rise on the third day, but they couldn't disassociate Jesus' promise from their own misaligned, misinformed expectations. And even though the news of his resurrection had reached their ears, they were still sad because their earthly circumstance hadn't changed. Well, friend, let me tell you something. Jesus didn't die necessarily to change your earthly circumstance. He died to change your eternal address. Luke 24, 30, it says, Now it came to pass. They're, they're moving on through this conversation, and as they get close to Emmaus, these guys ask him. They still haven't recognized him. They said, they said Would you come in, stranger, and would you... Would you dwell with us tonight just stay with us it's getting dark you don't need to go on and they come into the house and they sit down and they prepare a meal together and there's there's so much here in this meal that we don't have time to cover this morning but understand this that a, a meal a meal together in the Jewish custom was a lot different than your bag of McDonald's behind the steering wheel of your car it was, more, it was a lot deeper and a lot more meaningful. And here are these men, and they're sitting at the table with Jesus. They don't even know it. And I believe right now there are those of you that are sitting at the table with Jesus right now. It's spread right in front of you, and you don't even know it. You don't even recognize the blessing that's available. And it says, now as it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave thanks to them. And he, and he gave it to them, I'm sorry. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. Earlier they had recognized Jesus as a religious figure. He was a good teacher, he was a prophet, he was a man mighty indeed before God and man. But in that very moment, they did not recognize him as the resurrected Savior. He had accompanied them on their entire journey from Emmaus, from Jerusalem all the way back to Emmaus. He had been with them, he had walked with them. He had not left them, but they did not recognize him. But it was in this moment... And, and I've got to tell you, I've prayed about this all week long to say, God, what is this? I mean, some people talk about Jesus as they're having, it wasn't communion. It wasn't a formal thing. It was a meal together. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? What is the significance of Jesus handing them bread and them now being, having his person revealed to them? And I don't know. Last night about midnight, maybe, the Lord spoke to me and said, it was in the moment. It was in that moment that they turned their focus. They turned their focus away from their problems. And they set their sights on the bread that was coming from the hand of Jesus. No longer they focused on what Jesus hadn't done, but now in this moment they're focused on the bread of life, handing them bread to sustain their lives. 
And I don't know if there was a familiarity for them of John chapter 6 as Jesus is there breaking bread and saying, I am the bread of life or not. But in that moment when they turned their focus from the problems and the troubles of this world and their unmet expectations, they were able to see that Jesus held in his hand what they needed for that moment of life. And they recognized him. And it goes on to say here in verse 32 that, and they said to one another, after they recognized him, it says, and they said to one another, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened up the scriptures to us, and I believe there are some here today who in your heart there's a burning of the word of the Lord. You've, You've been living in the land of if only and you've been struggling with your unmet expectations and I believe right now there's a burning in your heart as it was theirs and that burning can be identified as the conviction and the convincing and the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit trying to draw their attention away from the problems and the woes of this world to see the Savior And in that moment, when they took their attention off of their problem and they looked to him to receive bread from his hand, they said, this is our life giver right here. And I believe today there's some of you that you're listening to me. You say, well, pastor, I'm saved. I've said a prayer. This ain't got nothing to do with you being saved. This ain't got nothing to do with you saying a prayer. This is about you having life and having it abundant. You can go through all the religious ritual you want to and not have life. I'm telling you, I've been in enough dead churches, I know. There was one, there was one great spiritual leader from India or someplace. He, he came over and visited American churches. And they said, well, what do, you think of, what do you think of the church? What do you think of Christianity? He said, you're Jesus I like. But I don't believe in the resurrection. And they said, why not? He said, well, if this is supposed to be his body, they're still dead. So I can tell you, you can go through the religious ritual, you can go through the motion and still be dead. And they were there, but their hearts burned within them. And I believe today, as I said, there are those under the sound of my voice for whom the Lord, word of the Lord is burning in your heart today. He's speaking the words of life everlasting and abundant. And as yet our thoughts and our hearts are fixed on our unmet expectations. But today if you will look to the giver of life, you will find that at the cross you find life and at the empty tomb you find the guarantee of life everlasting and abundant so they rose up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were gathered there together saying the Lord is risen indeed and as he appeared to Simon I'm sorry the Lord is risen indeed and as he appeared to Simon and they also told about the things that happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread 
church, very simply today, I want to say to you that you will find life not when all of your checklist is done, not when all of your accolades are accomplished and your goals achieved. You will find life and life abundantly when you realize that it is because he lives that I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because he lives, I know that I can face the future. Because life is worth living because he lives. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.